Amen. Let's give the Lord another round of applause if we can do that. Beautiful. I want to welcome you here this morning for those who are gathering online. I want to definitely thank you for celebrating Christmas with us here at River Oak. And it's good, it's good to be back with you guys on a Sunday morning. I show up and then I disappear. I show up and then I disappear. But it wasn't intended. Uh, I, I, you know, as many of you know, I tore my Achilles. I guess it's been uh, six weeks ago. And so a lot of the issues I'm having is not necessarily from the surgery. The surgery is a success. Uh, everything looks fine. Um, but I'm having some nerve issue. And so uh, from the nerve block that they gave me from the surgery, my, my uh, nerves are having a hard time waking up. And so I'm of the low 1%, which I told my doctor, I was like, you know, if there's a 1% of anything, except for the financial aspect, but if there's a 1% of any chance of something happening, you know, there's a good chance it's probably going to happen. And so I'm of the 1% of where your nerves aren't waking up the way that they should be. Um, He said, I'd have to be of the other 1% uh, if they don't wake up at all. And so we're praying that they will continue to wake up and they are. And so what's happening is when they do wake up, they like to talk to each other. Um, And I'm learning they scream at each other is what I'm learning. And so last Sunday morning, um, I woke up and I had my my normal routine on a Sunday morning is um, I'm at my desk by six in the morning and doing my final reading for the message. And at about 6.10, I started to feel it. And it usually only lasts about 15, 20 minutes, and there might be multiple sessions of it, but usually it's just a short period of time. And so I'm thinking, well, I, you know, let me just get through this, and we'll be fine for the Sunday morning service. At about 7.15, Amber walked into the room, and I was on my face with my butt in the air. She assumed I was praying. So I thought that was a good assumption, is uh, that I'm praying on a, And I usually do, but in that moment, um, I was not praying. I was on my face in pain. And so I, I, I raised my hand and said, honey, I'm not praying. Um, thank you that you think that highly of me. I'm not praying, but I'm actually uh, feeling you know, the nerve stuff. And so I like to keep our other pastors on their toes. And so... So uh, I like for them to receive a call at 7.30 on a Sunday morning, um, informing them that they are scheduled to preach and uh, just to make sure that they're, you know, staying in God's word and making sure, you know, that they're walking with Jesus, you know, and, and so put them in the moment so that they can panic and the Lord can do a great work in their life. And so really, you know, I'm looking out for them. I'm looking out for my staff as I'm trying to grow them in the Lord. But no, that's not true at all. But I am thankful for the team that we have. Again, I had every intention of being, but Caleb did a tremendous job last Sunday morning. Again, always does. They always do. You know, all of our guys do. And again, I'm so thankful to know of the team. I mean, the team that we have is just amazing. And, and you know, again, 90% of them you don't ever see. You know, you don't ever see the team that God, you know, has, has surrounded us with that allows us to do what we're doing. And so we're excited for this week, excited for our Christmas schedule. And so Friday night will be our Christmas Eve uh, services. We've gone back to our original times uh, over the years, which is 3, 4.30 and 6. And so we are looking forward.
forward to worshiping, celebrating Christmas Eve with you and your family. And we know this is a big night. You know, Christmas Eve is one of the larger of the services that we do. And we've seen a lot of people who don't know the Lord come into that service, whether it's family visiting from out of town or just, you know, because of what it is, uh, family members and friends coming to a Christmas Eve service. And so what a great opportunity to share, you know, the hope of what this season is about, which is Christ. And so again, thank you. You could be anywhere this morning and you could uh, be worshiping anywhere and you're here. And so thank you for that. Uh, And it's not a coincidence. Amen. Not a coincidence that God has us exactly where we are. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But it's not a coincidence that you're sitting here this morning. It's not a random thing, you know, regardless of what your week looked like, regardless of what your struggles have looked like, you're sitting here this morning. And so God bless you for that. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so I believe that there's a great work that God wants to do in all of our lives and that nothing is separate from that. That's what we're going to see even more so this morning, that nothing is outside of the work of God. Whether it's an injury, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's a struggle, whether it's a storm, regardless of what it is, there is a work that God wants to do in that. But at the same time, we recognize that just as we have a God that desires this great work in our lives, there's an enemy involved. And we understand that the enemy has no original material. He can only take the things that God has allowed, whether it was by good choices or bad choices, the sovereignty of God, the things that God has allowed in our lives. He can only take the same material that God wants to use to grow us and mature us and reveal himself to us. The same material is what the enemy wants to use to discourage us, to lie to us to try to keep us to seek our own vices rather than to remain still and patient and calm in the Lord. And y'all, are y'all hearing that wind blow through my mind? I feel like I'm in a hair commercial right now. And so I'm going to cut this down a little bit because I'm usually moving around, but I'm not moving around. And so I don't want to come across as a shampoo commercial to those who are watching online. But you know, more and more I've thought about the sovereignty of God just through the Christmas season, through my own life, to be honest with you, through my own experiences, just the fact that we have a God who is sitting on his throne this morning. Do you believe that? Say amen. Amen. So let's really think about that. In the chaos that you're in this morning, and there's some of you here in chaos, in the pain that you walked in with this morning, and there's many of you, I would dare to say, that walked in with pain. Let's be real. Christmas can be a hard time of year. For many of you, this might be your first Christmas without someone you love. And it can be a hard time of year. And again, same material, same material that God wants to use to encourage you and reveal himself more to you is the same material that the enemy is lying about. It's the same material that the enemy is trying to use to discourage you. And so I pray this Christmas season that you will uniquely see the Lord in ways that you never have before. I know I am. Because of the situations he puts us in, you know, it's again, what hand do we place that in? Do we place our stuff in the hands of the Lord or do we keep it ourselves? Because the enemy wants us to hold on to it ourselves. Because in that place, the flesh lies, our emotions lie, our feelings lie, but there's truth and there is hope and there is power in the promises of God. Can I get an amen? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. 
And if you've been with us two weeks ago, you know, I kind of began this series that I thought we, you know, would be in it for three straight weeks. But Pastor, again, Caleb did a great job kind of filling in even some of the gaps of the series from last Sunday. As we look at prophecies, as we look at some of the Old Testament prophecies of Scripture that, again, show to us the reality of what it is that we celebrate. I mean, let's be real, I love Christmas and I love the Christmas songs and I love the Christmas carols and I love the Christmas lights, but I'm learning now, especially even more so as a parent, how easy it is to get lost in that stuff. Like how easy it is, right, to, to get lost in even the traditions of Christmas. Even the traditions of this week. You guys are gonna have traditions this week that you go through, whether it's Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but to miss really what it is that we celebrate. And even sometimes as believers, and I can tell you for me as a pastor, because the story is so familiar, because this is a story for many of us that we grew up hearing, if we're not careful, the enemy can again downplay what, what God has truly done for us as we celebrate Christmas. So what we're going to be doing this morning is a little bit different in the sense of rather than starting in the Old Testament first and looking at the prophecy and then going to the life of Jesus and connecting it, we're actually going to do it backwards. We're going to actually go to Matthew 2 and Matthew 2 is the chapter of scripture that a lot of times people kind of miss the prophecies that are there. There are four prophecies that are given in Matthew 2 and what we're going to find is Matthew says, thus shall it be fulfilled. And so many times with these prophecies, he doesn't even give us the name of the prophet. He especially doesn't give us the context in which is being spoken. So we're going to take Matthew 2, which is a very traditional Christmas passage of scripture, and we're going to look at the prophecies that are mentioned and then go back to see again where this is fulfilled. One of the ways that we know that Jesus is who he said he was is in the fulfillment of prophecy. And we know that the heart and soul of Matthew's gospel is to connect the two. We know that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, a little bit different from Luke, Gentile writing to a Gentile audience. Here's Matthew writing to a Jewish audience. And so the heart and soul of Matthew's gospel is to connect the Old Testament to Jesus. The heart and soul of the gospel of Matthew is for the Jewish people to see that, hey, all that the prophets spoke of, this is him, the virgin birth, this is him, born out of Bethlehem, this is him. And so what you find in the gospel of Matthew is more Old Testament prophecy than any of the gospel writers. In the Gospel of Matthew, we find Isaiah 14, born of a virgin. We find Micah 5, 1 and 2, which we're going to look at, that he was born in Bethlehem. Jeremiah 31, he quotes, where he would be sought out and, and pursued by Herod. Isaiah 40, verse 3, where it speaks of John the Baptist, who would lay the way. Isaiah 53, that speaks of this one who would come to heal diseases. We know that he speaks of Zechariah 9.9, that he would even come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And so we know that even specifics, details is given in scripture about Christ. However, beyond just the specific prophecies, we also have prophecies that are a type of Christ. And so what you find in the Old Testament are these types of Christ, these pictures of Christ. For example, Abraham and Isaac. 
We know the story that God had called him to sacrifice his son, but God provided a ram, provided uh, a substitute. What is that? It's a type, a picture of the gospel. The final plague, right, in the deliverance of God's people is the angel of death would come and kill the firstborn child, but those who are of the Lord, right, would take a lamb, a spotless lamb, uh, a lamb without blemish, sacrifice that lamb, take the blood of the lamb and paint it above the what? The doorpost, right? So there's a picture there of you are under the blood. You are covered by the blood. You are protected by the blood of the lamb. It's a picture of Jesus. So we have both of those in Matthew 2. So we're not going to get to all four prophecies this morning. I didn't learn that until the 8 o'clock service. And so we're not going to get to all four (laughs) prophecies this morning um, because I have a tendency to run my mouth. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to work through the first two and then come Christmas Eve and even next Sunday morning in which everything will be online next Sunday morning on the 26th. And so again, as you know, we have many volunteers that serve here behind the scenes. And on that day, it's a day that we can worship with our families at home. And so just to make a note of that, next Sunday morning, we'll all be online, but this will be where we kind of complete um, these prophecies. So what are the chances? Let me go there first before we stand in reverence of reading God's word, before you you stand and I put one foot down in reverence of reading God's word. What are the chances that this one man would fulfill all of these predictions? What are the chances that this one man would fulfill all of these prophecies? Some of you have seen this before, but there's been actually a mathematical calculation of what are the chances? Just as, let's just look at it. What are the chances that five, 600 years before this dude was born, I shouldn't refer to Jesus as dude, but before Jesus was born, right? What are the chances that he would fulfill? So let's just take eight prophecies. Now, how many did he fulfill? Many theologians believe a minimum of 300. Some would even push that number to 330, 340. Again, there can be some arguments about the symbolism of some of these prophecies, but most of them come to the conclusion, excuse me, of at least a minimum of 300. Let's just take eight. Eight. What are, what's the probability, I guess is the right way of saying that, for someone to fulfill eight? Here's the number. One in one to 17 zeros. There's a name for this number. I don't know it. Someone sent it to me. I've used this before. Someone sent it to me and I was more confused after their email than I was before. And so all we know is, is that this is one into one and 17 zeros. Watch this. If you took that to 48 prophecies, so now we go from eight to 48. Now that number goes from one to one and add 158 zeros. That's 48 prophecies. Many believe minimum of 300 that this guy fulfilled. Bottom line, Matthew is telling us this is who the father spoke of in Genesis 3.15. Can I get an amen? Amen. That this Jesus that we celebrate is the one spoken in the garden that we looked at two weeks ago, which is really the first Christmas passage. It's the first Christmas prophecy that in the greatest chaos, and you're going to see this all throughout God's word, and especially in the birth of Jesus, that sometimes in the darkest of times, hear me, God does his greatest work. That sometimes in the hardest of times in your life this morning, God does the greatest work. 
I heard a pastor say one time, our faith is kind of like a photograph is best developed in the dark. I remember thinking to myself, you know, as you go through and you study scripture, it fulfills that, that truth so much. And so take your Bibles, if you would, and stand with me in reverence to reading God's word. Matthew 2, we're just going to read verse 6. And then we're going to work through all of Matthew 2. Well, not this morning, but we're going to work through most of Matthew 2. If it was just one service, we'd work through it all and we'd be here for two hours and half of you wouldn't come back next week. So it's good that we have a time limit on what we're doing. You'd still come back, right? Say amen. I don't know if I believe you. Let's go back to verse six. So Matthew chapter two, let's just look at verse six. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come of ruler, and then Matthew adds this, who will shepherd my people Israel. Join with me as we go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of details, that nothing in our lives are wasted. That, Lord, there are many things that we walked in here with this morning that I'm sure many of us would pray, God, if you would just fix this, or if you would just do this, or if you would just remove this, or if you would just answer this prayer, then I could really serve you. Then I could really be on fire for you. But, Lord, we know that you have every one of us this morning exactly where you want us to be. And this morning, we must come to a place, Lord, of, of either trying to handle whatever it is we're dealing with on our own, or lifting our eyes to a God who has not only fulfilled the greatest promise, but has promises throughout his word that cannot be broken. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray for those maybe who are hurting, those who are struggling. May they see a God of grace this morning, a God who came to us, that at Christmas we celebrate entering into a world of scandal and sin, Christ came for us. He came for us. Knowing what would happen, he came for us. And so Lord, as we go through the traditions this week of the Christmas season, may we not miss the greatest gift that has been given, your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, through this week today and our services Friday and even next Sunday, if there's one who has never surrendered their heart and life to you, Lord, may they hear this story in a way that they've never heard before. Lead us and guide us, we pray it. May the name of Jesus be lifted high. We pray it, we ask it, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Or you can stand. You can do whatever you want to do. I'm still waiting for that one person to stand when that happens. I have to tell you again, the boot is not always a bad thing. I don't have the boot on right now, but I've been riding my scooter around town. And so if you hear stories of some adult man riding his scooter around town, that would be me uh, riding around town. But I've learned that it can also be used for sympathy as well. I was at the gas station just real quick this past week and, and all the place, all the uh, gas things were full. I was at a Wawa, which to me is like, there's something spiritual about. And so I'm at Wawa and I'm getting gas. So all the gas tanks are full. Well, I'm sitting in my car. I'm sitting in my car cause I took my boot off. My foot was hurting. I took my boot off and I noticed a dude pulled up behind me with his window down. And I noticed that when the thing clicked, I didn't get out quick enough to get to my gas tank because he needed to fill up his gas. And so he didn't honk his horn. He didn't give me any gestures. He didn't show me the New York state bird. He didn't do any of that. But I could tell that he was getting a little frustrated. And so he kind of leaned up out of his chair, kind of with not the greatest look upon his face. 
And I slowly set my boot outside of the car. (laughs) And I showed him that I was injured. (laughs) And that not only am I injured, it is going to take me 20 minutes to put this boot on. (laughs) Took me 25 minutes to get that boot on. And he still didn't say a word. So here we go. Let's look at this. You want to see a God of grace? Let me back up. Let's go to Matthew 1. Let's go to Matthew 1 and let's not miss this, right? A lot of times we come to Matthew 1 and we skip because of all these hard names. We see the genealogy, the lineage of Christ. But just in the first six verses, do not miss the God that we serve. So in, 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 in the attempt of Matthew, again, to connect Jesus to the Old Testament, we know that he talks about that he's of the son of David, right? That he's of the royal line. So he fits that criteria. He speaks of him as the son of Abraham. And so he's the seed of Abraham. He fits that criteria. But what's amazing about this as the seed is being described of how it passed through the Old Testament, there are 42 men that are mentioned and there are five women that are mentioned. Now let's remove Mary. Mary is the fifth woman mentioned in the lineage of Christ. Well, let's just look at the four ladies mentioned before Mary. Now think about this. This is unheard of, first of all, that a woman would be named in the lineage that Matthew would even put a female in the lineage. This was unheard of. This was not done. You know, again, you would always take the name of the male and you would pass on how the seed was being, you know, passed on through. But Matthew uses four females and every one of these females were scandalous. Look at this. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, verse one, the son of David, son of Abraham. He gives his credentials up front. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by who? Tamar. Does anyone know the story of Tamar? Have some fun this week. You don't need to pick up any raunchy romantic novels. Just go to Genesis 38. And we know the story of incest there that she tricked her father-in-law, slept with him in order to have a child. You thought your family was bad? You thought, you, you thought your family was busted? Let's just look at the lineage of Jesus here. You wanna see grace? You wanna see grace? All right, let's keep going. Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, Forgive me for my pronunciation failures here. Nashon begot Salmon. I can pronounce that one. I'm sure that's a different. uh, I'm sure that's a different. um, That's not like your your fish salmon, right? But I'm sure there's a different. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Yes, that Salmon begot Boaz. By who? Rahab, the prostitute? I mean, this girl, you go to Joshua 2.1, right? She's a prostitute. She's the one helping the spies. You know the story, right? She's the one who hid the spies, who by God's grace was saved. She had heard of the God of Israel. She had heard the parting of the Red Sea and she put her faith, just like in the New Testament, what is required for salvation in the Old Testament, the same thing, faith. But it was accredited faith of to the one who would come. Well, she put her faith in the Lord. She's miraculously saved. She's in the lineage of Jesus, a prostitute. Well, let's keep going. Rahab, Boaz, begot Obed by who? Ruth. We don't always think about the fact that Ruth was a Moabite. 
the enemy of God's people and that she served as a priestess in the temple of Moloch. This is Ruth of the lineage of Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Obed begot Jesse, Jesse begot David the king, David the king begot Solomon by who? Her? Who is her? Bathsheba. The one that David slept with who committed adultery with. Bathsheba. These women are the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus. You want to see a God of grace, don't skip the genealogy of Matthew 1. In the first six verses of Matthew 1, we see the God that we serve. That even in the birth of Christ, the grace that is involved for those that he came through. And again, no wonder that right the first uh, prophecy, go back in Matthew 1, no wonder that the first prophecy of verse 21 is so important. And she will bring forth a son. We know this is Isaiah seven fourteen. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name, say it with me, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah saying, behold, the what shall be? The virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So right away, Matthew wants us to understand that, yeah, in the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus, there is grace because there is grossness, there's corruption, there is sin, just like the rest of us and any of our families. However, why is the virgin birth so critical? The virgin birth is so critical is because Jesus wasn't born of the same seed as these individuals, the seed of sin. He was born of the seed of the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth is so critical is because without the virgin birth, Jesus would just be like you and I. And what does that mean? It means he would enter into this world in sin. And therefore he too would need a savior. However, what made him so different is that again, the seed of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, therefore fully God, yet fully man, yet without sin. He had to fulfill every righteous law of God. Not only did he have to fulfill every prophecy mentioned in the Old Testament, he had to fulfill every standard of a holy God. And if he missed one, the Bible says then we're guilty of it all. And so understanding that Matthew not only connects us to the Old Testament, but the first thing he connects us to is the virgin birth. That without the virgin birth, we miss the whole story. Well, all right, and now let's keep moving. Now let's go to Matthew 2. There are four prophecies in Matthew 2, and they're often overlooked. This morning, we're not going to make it through all four, but what's interesting about this is all four of these prophecies are tied to geography. So all four of these prophecies have something to do with a physical location. We know that the first prophecy deals with Bethlehem. Let's look at that, if you would. Look at Matthew 2, verse 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east, and we're going to talk about that, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Verse three, when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them of where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem, 
of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler, capital R, who will shepherd, and this is something that you don't find in the original prophecy, we believe Matthew's added this, who will shepherd my people, Israel. So the first prophecy has to do is where he was going to be born. That it wasn't random, it wasn't coincidence that this Messiah would be born, physically speaking, in Bethlehem. And so if Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem, then let's just stop right there, right? We don't even need to keep going to any of the other prophecies, right? Just in the place that he's born is critical because we have to connect that back to Micah in which Micah over 600 years earlier said these words that he would come from Bethlehem. Now, does anyone know what Bethlehem means? Give you free coffee next week. That's always my free, that's always my go-to thing. If they charge you out there, by the way, come let me know because there's something scandalous going on with them, all right? So I make that joke about free coffee, but, but please know that if there's anybody charging you, we need to know that because they're making some money for their Christmas gifts, all right? Because we don't charge for coffee. Anyway, somebody tried to charge me for coffee the other week and I'm like, yo, I'm Pastor Heath. You just don't recognize me because I got a beard. It was Amber, by the way, who tried to charge me for coffee. House of what? Does anyone know? Bread. House of bread. How interesting is that? How interesting is that when you go to John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus says, I am the what of life? I am the bread of life. Those who feed upon me shall never be hungry. Those who thirst upon me shall never be thirsty. Like it's no wonder that even in the town's name, Bethlehem, like Bethel is house of God. Beth means house of, right? Lehem means in the Hebrew bread. So Bethlehem, house of bread. And I love what he says. Look at what he says at the end of verse two, whose goings forth are from old. Actually, let me go there first. Go to Micah and let's look at the prophecy. Go to Micah chapter five. He's right after Jonah, that helps you. If not, just go to the beginning of your Bible and it should give you a table of contents. So go to Micah, I don't have it, Micah 5. And let's look at the prophecy itself. Let's connect now Matthew 2, right? And we know that these are major and minor prophets, right? We know that that doesn't have anything to do with its significance, it's the amount of material. However, I think they could have thought of a better word instead of, you know, your major, your minor. That, I would be offended by that. But it just, all it simply means is the amount of writing we have. So this is the minor prophet. Look at what he says here, Micah, chapter five, verse two through five. He says, hear all you peoples, listen to earth and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord, his holy temple. For the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. And I am reading the wrong passage right there. <laughs> just making sure y'all are, yeah, just making sure y'all are paying attention. Some of you are, and some of you had no clue that I was reading the wrong passage right there. Micah 5. Verse two, thank you. <laughs> but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, we can go back to Genesis 38 to find that name as a description of Genesis, the death of Rachel. We'll get to that later. 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one. I love that. The one to be ruler in Israel. Now, some translations say this different ways. I actually love the way the New King James puts it, which I'm reading from, whose goings forth are from old, from what? Everlasting. I love that. So understand, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're not celebrating the beginning of Jesus. We're celebrating the physical beginning of Jesus, but we're talking about the God of everlasting. Can I get an amen? So we understand that, right? No time frame. He's entering into time and space. And so uh, Micah is saying there's one who will come, the one who will be the ruler, right? And he says that he will come from old, from everlasting, that he has no beginning. It's what you find in this prophecy. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who was in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel and he shall stand and feed his flock. And the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall abide for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and this one shall be what? Peace. Now how amazing that he would even be speaking of peace. Here is Micah prophesying from the northern kingdom and we know that if you go to Micah in the first five chapters he is just straight up rebuking. Not just the, the people of God but specifically the leaders of Israel. He's rebuking them. Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, he talks about how they are planning iniquity behind the scenes. And so he is saying that there will come one who will rule over, but he will come, and what does it say, from everlasting, but I love what Matthew says. Matthew says he will come as a shepherd. That he will come not just to rule with an iron fist, he will come to serve as a shepherd. Let's think about the duties of a shepherd. It's not very glorifying to watch over a flock, to, to basically surrender yourself for the protection of the flock. And yet this is the picture that Matthew uses to describe. And how amazing it is that in the context of what's happening, this is a dark time in the history of God's people. Just as it was a dark time in the Garden of Eden when the Father prophesizes of the Son who will come, this is a dark time in the history of God's people where Micah says, hey, there will come a day where there will come one who will rule, who has no beginning, and he shall be peace. Let's go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew again, verse six. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What a picture of Jesus. Look at what it says next in verse seven. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what, the star, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. We know that he has no intention of worshiping. This is an attempt again to squatch out the seed. Look at what happens in verse nine. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, myrrh, then being divinely warned in a dream 
that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now then, this goes back to the split of the kingdoms, right? The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. You think about Babylon. You think about Daniel. You think about Ezekiel. These who came from the east had heard of the prophecy. These who came from the east, these magi, and there's a lot of different descriptions of who these men were, they had heard of one who was coming. They had heard prophecies of one who would rule and one who would come and one who would be uh, Messiah. Now, it's important to understand that these wise men did not come to the nativity, (laughs) that these wise men were not at the manger of Jesus, right? We need to understand that. I just learned that like last week, but we need to understand. (laughs) I'm just kidding. As a kid, I just always assume that there were shepherds and there were what? Wise men right there, but that's not what we find in scripture. What we find in scripture is that these wise men came later. That Jesus, many believe, was probably about one or two when these wise men came. And so we know that again, all your Christmas cards that have the wise men at the nativity scene, throw them away because it's heresy, okay? I'm just kidding, don't throw them. Because I've got a nativity scene up in my house right now with wise men. And I walked by the other day and I told Amber, this is not biblically accurate. But anyway, let's keep going. (laughs) So they came later, okay. And they brought him gifts. We know that these gifts are significant. And the symbolism is very significant. Gold, symbolic of kingship, of royalty. They're recognizing that, okay, this is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. They're acknowledging that even in gold, right? That not only does he fill the heritage of the, the lineage of David, that this is also the son of God. See that in gold. You look at the second gift of frankincense. This was an expensive oil, a perfume, a sweet-smelling incense. The priest would use this in their ordinances duties. And so this again shows the priesthood of Christ. You go to the third uh, gift that was given, myrrh. Again, and, uh, a, a resin known primarily for its medicinal and its preservative qualities. It was often used in embalming. And there's a picture there to the death of Jesus. The Bible says that these men were warned in a dream to not return. Look at what happens next and then we're going to close. Here's the second prophecy. Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be, say it with me, fulfilled. Anytime we see that, we need to know what's being talked about which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now I'm gonna end with this, the second prophecy, and then we'll look at the next two prophecies this coming week. So the second prophecy, out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, who gives this prophecy? This is the prophecy of Hosea. And if you're just reading the book of Hosea, how easy it would be to miss this. Let me just read for you the passage very quickly. Hosea 11, you can write this down as a cross-reference to go back, verses one through four. Listen to these words. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And so we know that Hosea is speaking of God's deliverance of the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. 
Out of Egypt I called my son. And they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the bales and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So this prophecy is now dealing with, out of Egypt, Jesus returns back to his home. Now, let me ask you, do you know the story of Hosea? Do you know the story of who made this prophecy? The story of Hosea is that he was told by God to marry a girl by the name of, does anyone know? Gomer. Let me just say, first of all, any gomers in this room? No gomers in this room, right? Because I don't want to offend no one. But if her name is Gomer, there's some issues there up front, okay? But the issues went deeper. God instructed Hosea to marry or to stay with. We don't know if they were already married or had not been married yet before. This girl who was a prostitute, Gomer, who went out and was a harlot. She's described as a whore. She's described as a harlot. She's described as someone who was in adultery, not just committing adultery, who was in adultery, who lived a life of prostitution to the point that Hosea was not only instructed to not divorce her, not stone her, which was allowed according to Old Testament law, but rather to do the opposite, to love her in spite of what she was doing. Because there was a picture there. Hosea was not only a preacher of truth, of, 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 of God's grace and God's mercy, he was to live it. That not only was he to proclaim that this is a God of grace, but he was to show it in his own life. And the story goes on that he pursues Gomer to the point where he purchases her. He already owns her, but because of the debt that she owes, his love continues to pursue this woman who kept spitting in his face and continuing in her adulterous lifestyle, and yet he still comes after her, and he purchases her. The Bible says, for 15 shekels of silver and five bales of barley which theologians have come to the conclusion that the barley would have been equivalent to the silver, therefore equaling 30 shekels of silver. How much money did Judas betray Jesus with? Does anyone know? 30 shekels of silver. The picture, obviously, and even in the, in the naming of their three children, It's that Gomer represented Israel, but she also represented us. That we would be out prostituting ourselves to the things of this world, seeking fulfillment, seeking to fill a void. And yet we serve a God like the husband Hosea who just keeps pursuing just keeps pursuing and in spite of us in spite of us not only saying I love you I'm going to purchase you and I'm going to pay for you and what we celebrate at Christmas 
It's the payment that came a person who would die upon a cross for our sins. That in spite of us, like this adulterous woman who many believe was literally standing naked on the, on the, on the block of slavery, being sold on a slavery block. And yet Hosea, in spite of the shame and the embarrassment, purchased her and loved her in spite of her. There's nowhere that you can go in this book that Jesus is not in the center of. And there's nothing and nowhere that you can go in your life that Jesus right now is not in the center of. He doesn't create robots. He wants those who desire him, not just when things go wrong, but those who would wake up each day and say, you know what? I know what it means to hunger and I know what it means to thirst and I know what it means to feed upon the things of this world that evaporates and leaves a bigger hole. So I surrender to the one who came and died for my sins. Listen, if you're here today and you've never done that, I can tell you he's brought you to this place for that reason. If you're here today and you know him and you're struggling, no original material, whose hands are those things being placed in? Can you say this morning that Jesus is in the center of my chaos, my pain, my struggle, but Jesus is in the center of it all. world 
with us that we can have and experience peace and be at peace with the Father God. We celebrate that this morning. We celebrate that this Christmas. Let's stand together as we sing about our Prince of Peace. Would you stand and sing this with us? Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, be the center. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else center of our hearts, of our lives, of our thoughts, of our actions this week as we go out, that he has come to meet us in our brokenness and in our sin to create a way for us to be with him, to be made right with God forever. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. We hope to see you guys Christmas Eve, again, three o'clock, 4.30 or six. Bring your family, invite your neighbors, invite friends and coworkers for a wonderful time of worship together here. And don't show up Sunday. Join us online with your families. As we go out this week, remember that it is all about him. We love you guys. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Friday.